Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You know, it's a crazy week that we've had in the market because as of the recording of this podcast, the S&P 500 closed higher on Friday, but it ends the week with a loss. You know, it's been a wild week on Wall Street this week, in all honestly, and it's probably going to get even a little bit more wild. Now, the thing with it, too, is that we're not going to know about a whole lot of what's happening in the market next week due to the fact that it is Thanksgiving holiday within the United States. So Thursday, the market will be closed and Friday's Black Friday. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't think the market is open on Friday. So we might might not be recording as much, but we, we will record what we can on news that is coming out when it comes out, because there are some events we have to talk about in today's podcast. OK, first off, Qatar is to ban beer at World Cup stadiums and dramatic reversal two days before the tournament starts. And this is kind of a big deal, especially for Budweiser in in the making, okay? The housing market's reporting too. And it says in the article that we'll read today, it says home sales fall for the ninth straight month in October as higher mortgage rates scare off potential buyers. And what that could mean for the housing market going forward. Then we got some more news for the COVID COVID shots with Pfizer. Pfizer says Omicron boost is better against new subvariants like BQ.1-1 than the old shots and how this could potentially mean more money for Pfizer in the making. Then we got some news in the tech sector as well. Tech layoffs are not a bellwether for broader cuts in other industries, Morgan Stanley analysis say. And how we'll end today talking has to do with Carvana and how Carvana is laying off people. And that's related to the tech sector as well. I have to remind you all that I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. And everything I talk about this podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. You need to do your own research before investing as you're not guaranteed to make money in the stock market when you do invest. I legally cannot give you financial advice in any way, shape, or form. And you need to talk to your own professional advisor before making any financial decisions. Please also note too that your financial advisor would actually know your situation a lot better than I would. And hence why you need to go talk to them. Because I could be wrong about everything on this podcast. And like I said, this is for entertainment and education purposes only. And, report, and to report the news as much as possible. So with that being said, let's begin today's podcast. Qatar to ban beer at World Cup stadiums and dramatic reversal two days before tournament starts. From CNBC, Dubai. Qatar is banning all beer sales at around the World Cup stadiums and a dramatic U-turn just two days before the massive soccer tournament begins. World Soccer and Governing Botter FIFA confirmed on Friday. Following decisions between host uh, country authorities and FIFA, a decision has been made to focus the sale of alcoholic beverages on the FIFA Fan Festival, other fan destinations, and licensed venues, removing sale points of beer from Qatar's FIFA World Cup 2022 stadium perimeters. A statement from FIFA said, The conservative, gas-rich Muslim nation does not fully ban alcohol for visitors, but its sale and consumption is strictly controlled. Alcohol is typically only allowed in a handful of specifically licensed hotels and restaurants and away from street view. Budweiser's non-alcoholic beer, Bud Zero, will continue to be sold at all eight of country's World Cup stadiums. The statement said alcoholic beer will still be available at specifically permitted fan zones in Qatar after 6.30 p.m. And intoxicated bands will be sent to special zones to sober up. Quote, host country authorities and FIFA will continue to ensure that the stadiums and surrounding areas provide an enjoyable, respectful, and pleasant experience for all fans. 
The FIFA statement added, the tournament organizers appreciated AB and Bev understanding that and continuous support of our joint commitment to cater for everyone during the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022. The decision throws the tournament's 75 million sponsorship by major beer market Budweiser into question, and it's set to anger many organizers and attending fans already frustrated over the restrictions that are new to the 92-year-old event. Qatar has initially relaxed its alcohol restrictions to allow Budweiser, which has been in the World Cup exclusive beer distributor since 1986, to sell its products in Qatar World Cup official venues, specifically the stadiums and fan zones. This is what has enabled Budweiser's parent company, AB and Bev, to renew its contract with FIFA through 2022, more than a decade ago after Qatar hosting bid was confirmed. The policy for serving beer in the country during the games was finalized among organizers in September, but just last week, orders were delivered from the highest rungs of government to relocate beer tents and stadiums further out of view, according to reports. Friday's announcements yanks not only the tensions of religiously conservative country hosting a traditional beer-soaked tournament into the spotlight, but also glaring questions about planning and managing management problems. I'm going to say this, okay? I expect Budweiser to do actually well for this, okay? Think about it this way. It might be negative news that they're not going to be able to have as much beer consumption within this World Cup. I mean, I find it hilarious that this is big news currently right now. But in a way, this is a PR move as well in the making, okay? Think about think about this, okay? When you go into Twitter, okay? For instance, like we'll just say BMW, for instance, okay? BMW, based off what they're trying to advertise, based off the month, right? They will change their profile picture to match whatever um, whatever event or month that's happening in the United States, okay? So for instance, for Black History Month, I'm pretty sure BMW does something like that. But they don't do stuff like that in the Middle East on their Twitter account when it comes to how they handle advertising on Twitter. Okay. This is gonna be almost like this is gonna be like no big issue. I mean, in Qatar, yeah, it's gonna be an issue. But in the United States, I mean, if people are watching the festivals from home, especially this starting next this Sunday, actually, you can bet that Budweiser is gonna be blasting advertising revenue or just the their ads in general on these platforms in the making now in Qatar might not happen as much. And obviously sales might decrease, but if I were Budweiser, what I would do is I would make a campaign saying like something like hand a beer out to a fellow, to a fellow man, because in Qatar, we don't have that. Okay. It'd be interesting to see if that were to happen, honestly, because Budweiser will find a way to still make money off this at the end of the day. Now, granted, they might not be able to sell as much, but their non-alcoholic beverages are still being sold in the country. And maybe that's what Budweiser needs to do. They need to ship all their non-alcoholic beverage drinks to Qatar. Honestly, if they want people to drink, that's one way to do it. Will they get wasted? Probably not. And that's fine. But I just love the fact that people are upset about this. I mean, you're going to a country where they're a little bit more stricter on the rules when it comes to how they do things there. So it should be no surprise. But if I were Budweiser, I would be coming up with a commercial right now. Like, you know how Coca-Cola has their ones where it's like share a Coke? They should probably do something similar, like share a Bud or something like that or something along those lines. Or maybe Budweiser comes up with a really good commercial that has to do with the World Cup and Qatar. That would be an interesting one as well. Continuing on with our news articles, home sales fell for the ninth straight month in October as higher mortgage rates scared off potential buyers. Home sales declined for the ninth straight month in October as higher interest rates and surging inflation kept buyers on the sidelines. Sales of previously owned homes dropped 5.9% from September to October, according to the National Associate of Retailers. That is the slowest pace since December of 2011, 
with the expectation of a brief drop at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. The October reading put sales at a seasonal adjusted annual pace of 4.43 million units. Sales were 28.4% lower year over year. Even as sales slow, supply is still stubbornly low. There were 1.22 million homes for sale at the end of October and and decrease of just under 1% both month to month and year over year. That's a 3.3 month supply at the current sales pace. Historically, a balanced market is considered to be a six month supply. The median price of an existing home sold in October was 379,100, an increase of 6.6% year over year before. The price gains, however, are shrinking as the season dropped in home price, this time as the year appears to be much deeper than usual. Inventory levels are still tight, which is why some homes for sales are still receiving multiple offers, said Lawrence Yoon, chief economicist uh, for the NAR. In October, 24% of homes received over asking price. Conversely, homes sitting on the market for more than 120 days saw price reduce it by an average of 15.8%. Overall, homes went under contract in 21 days in October, up from 19 days in September and 18 days in October 2021. More than half, 64% of homes sold in October 2022, were on the market for less than a month, suggesting that there is still strong demand if the home is priced right. While sales are dropping now across all price points, they are weakening most in the 100,000 to 250,000 range and in a 1 million plus range. On the lower end, that is likely due to the severe shortage of available homes in the price range. Big losses in the stock market, as well as inflation and global economic uncertainty, may be weighing on high end buyers. First time buyers who are likely most sensitive to increase in mortgage rates made up 28% of sales, down from 29% the year before. The cohort usually makes up 40% of home purchases. Investors or second-time home buyers pull back, buying to 16% of homes sold in October, compared to 70% in October of 2021. Mortgage rates are now more than double the record lows seen just as the start of the year. But recently, the volatility in rates is also wrecking havoc on potential buyers. Rates shot up in June, settled by in July and August, and continued even higher in September and October. They then dropped back pretty sharply last week. The last thing we'll say is, quote, for many, the week-to-week volatility and mortgage rates alone, which is in 2022, I've been three times what is typical, may be a good reason to wait, said Daniel Hale, chief economicist of Retailer.com, with week-to-week changes in mortgage rates causing $100 plus swings in monthly housing costs for the medium-priced home. It's tough to know how to set and stick to a budget. You know, it could also mean to this, okay, and I really wish people would talk about this a little bit more. Inflation's going up. Okay. And we've talked about this a lot. And in fact, we actually had a podcast in the past and I would advise listening to it. I believe we talked about how young people are wanting to buy homes. They just can't afford it because prices are too high. Okay. I still think for the most part, okay, because this is something to think about. And we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later down in this podcast today. There are layoffs happening across the nation. Okay. There are. And when people lose jobs, budgets get tighter. We also know too, because we talked about this in yesterday's podcast, and I would advise listening to it when we were talking about Walmart and Target, people are using debt to to sustain their lifestyles right now, okay? There's a lot of debt happening right now across the board, and mortgage rates might be affected by this. I mean, interest rates are going up. They went up by 0.75% recently, and as mortgage rates keep going up, people are not going to be able to keep buying homes. The days of cheap money are virtually gone right now. Okay, just think about that, okay? For the longest time since 2000, interest rates were so close to zero. And then they were kind of rising under Trump and then COVID hit and then they dropped and now they're on the rise again. The days of cheap money are gone 
and people cannot afford to keep buying homes if interest rates keep rising like this. And especially with inflation too on top of that. So continue for home. There's a high chance that home sales are going to keep falling and the demand might still be there, but no one's going to be able to afford it. I can't say not everyone though, because there are some people who will, but at the end of the day, there are, there are reasons why people aren't getting many homes as they want to these days. So now continuing on to the health and science sector for section from CNBC, Pfizer says Omicron booster is better against new subvariants like BQ.11 than old shots. Okay. Pfizer said its Omicron boost triggers a strong immune re- response against a number of engaging COVID subvariants circulating in the U.S. The booster triggered more antibodies against Omicron uh, sublineage B, uh, BQ.11 and BA.46, BA.2.75.2 and XBB.1 in adults older than 55 compared with fourth dose of the original vaccines, according to new data released by the company on Friday. Antibodies are a key part of the immune system that blocked the viruses from invading cells. Pfizer developed its booster against Omicron BA.5 at the request of the Food and Drug Administration. BA.5 was the dominant strain of COVID in the U.S. over the summer, but is now fading away as subvariants such as BQ.1.1 started becoming more dominant. I'm just going to keep calling it BQ going forward because it's it's just, it's just it's repeating a lot. So I eh, forget. Well, actually, we'll just read it because... Makes it more easier to understand, I guess. BQ.1.1 and its sibling BQ.1 are causing more than 48% of new infections in the U.S. right now, according to data from the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention. BA.5, meanwhile, has declined to about 25% of new COVID cases. BA.4.6 and BA.2.75.2 will make up a very small portion of new infections, while XBB.1 is not present in significant enough numbers to show up in the data yet. Antibodies against BQ.1.1 were about nine times higher in the people who received an an Omicron booster, while they were about two times higher than those who received a fourth dose of the original vaccine. Among the emergency subvariants, the Omicron booster excluded the strongest immune response against BA.4.6, with antibodies 11 times higher than the weakest response against XBB.1, and antibodies about five times higher. The booster triggers the strongest immune response against Omicron BA.5. The variant is designed against with antibodies increasing 13 times in people older than 55, according to previously released by Pfizer. Moderna on Monday said its Omicron booster includes an immune response against BQ.1.1, though the company didn't provide specifics. You know, I'm just going to say this right now, okay? This is probably one of the last hurrah that Moderna and Pfizer are going to get in the making, okay? In a past podcast, go listen to it with more details on it. But these companies made billions of dollars during COVID-19 lockdowns of 2020, okay? This is probably the last hurrah of money they're going to get. And hopefully these companies are then able to use these ridiculous profits that they've made since COVID and be able to come up with new drugs and disease uh, drugs for diseases that we still don't have cures for. I mean, you're making all this money, Pfizer and Moderna. Might as well try to use it for the better of people, right? Hopefully. But at the end of the day, this is the last push they're going to get. I personally, okay, and this is just my opinion. This isn't financial advice. I believe Pfizer and Moderna, as soon as they stop releasing COVID shots, their stock is going to tank. And all honestly, okay, I don't know where the stock is currently right now. And that's probably something I should have done before recording this podcast. And I probably could look it up, but 
We got things to still talk about, but I have a feeling that their stock price is going to fall. Okay. I remember before COVID that Pfizer stock was sitting between 30 to $25 a share. Okay. And now I believe last I checked and granted it has been a while since I looked at it, it was at 50. Uh, we might as well just try to pull it up real quick to see where Pfizer's at. Okay. Pfizer stock's currently at 48.23. Okay. A year ago, it had a high about 55 plus, okay? I believe once the COVID stock, uh, not COVID stocks, the COVID vaccines are done with these companies because they're not going to be selling as much, you can expect Pfizer stocks to be going back to $30 a share unless they come up with a new drug or a new, or a new uh, regiment for medication, okay? But at the end of the day, these the party that these two companies have been getting might be coming to an end. Johnson Johnson might feel it as well, but Johnson Johnson also has a bigger portfolio at the end of the day, so I don't know how much they're going to feel it. Obviously, this isn't financial advice, like I said, but it is a food for thought that I'm having because I think Pfizer's days of being, quote unquote, profitable. I mean, it's still a profitable company, but it's not going to be as profitable once they're done with the COVID shots. But their, their time's coming to an end, so... Continuing on in the tech sector now, tech layoffs are not a bellwether for broader cuts in other industries, Morgan Stanley analysis say. The rank of tech employees at companies from Asana to Amazon and Meta have witnessed a massive cuts not seen since the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic. But in a note Thursday, Morgan Stanley analysis say they don't view these layoffs as a habinger of changes for the broader labor market. Pool. The analysis said the large market of tech firms and idiosyncratic hiring and tech relative to the rest of the labor markets have resulted in tech layoffs having an outsized impact on per per perceptions. But the analysis noted tech layoffs since December of 2021, only some 187,000, a sizable number of the sector, but barely more than 0.1% of the total U.S. payrolls. Aggressive hiring by tech companies resulted in payrolls as tech and tech adjacent companies rising sharply over their pre-pandemic levels. They near the broader market until re until recently lagged 2019 peak employment. Morgan Stanley still anticipates a sharp drop-off in employment growth, citing slower consumer demand precipitated by higher Federal Reserve's rates as a trigger for hiring cutbacks across most sectors of the economy. But the analysis said major job cuts is non-tech industries are unlikely as the U.S. economy at large remains short-staffed. Even as its executives may want to trim labor costs, there appears to be a little fat to cut, they wrote. But the per perception of cost efficiency and surplus hiring practices may be what the market wants to hear, the analysis wrote. Okay, the only thing I'm going to say is this, okay? If this is not intertwined with each other, which is fine if they want to believe that, then please explain to me why you have like the retail sector, for instance, those people are being laid off from their jobs too. Certain bank sectors have been losing their jobs as well. Now, granted, there are apparently supposed to be more jobs out there. I get that. But, I mean, it, it's giving us an idea of where things are going. Okay, think about this. We've talked about this in past podcasts. 11,000 people are being laid off at Facebook. That's a big, big number at the end of the day, okay? I mean, in reality, all that what's really going to happen is these people will find new jobs. They will. And they're going to end up like going to some startup company that's going to be big in the next few years, probably, at least in the tech industry. But other markets like the real estate and all that stuff, I don't know where those people are going to end up at the end of the day. And it's just weird to think that they're saying like, oh, it's not an idea of how the market is. I mean, 
it's just weird. You can even look up all the job layups that have happened this year. Now, granted, most of them are in the tech industry. And maybe it's just that time finally that the tech industry is feeling it finally. But there are other layoffs that are happening, especially like in the automotives, for instance. Okay. It says here now, Carvana lays off 1,500 employees following stock free fall. Carvana is laying off about 1,500 people or 8% of its workforce Friday following a free fall in the company's stock this year, a weakening used vehicle market and concerns around the company's long-term trajectory, according to internal message first obtained by CNBC Scott Wapner. The email from Carvana's CEO titled, Today is a Hard Day, cites economics headwinds including higher financing costs and delayed car purchasing. He says the company failed to... He said the company has failed to accurately predict how this would all play out and the impact it would have on our business. Today is a difficult day. The world around us has continued to get tougher and to do what is best for business. We have to make some painful choices to adapt, Garcia wrote in Friday's email to employees. The layoffs add to a growing number of tech-focused job cuts amid rising rates, persisted inflation, and fears of an economic downturn for Carvana. It also followed rapid growth, but some missteps during the coronavirus pandemic to better capitalize on the unprecedented strong-use vehicle market. Carvana stock closed Friday at $8.06 per share, down 3.1%. Carvana stock has plummeted about 97% this year after reaching all-time intertrade highs at $376.83 per share on August 10th of 2021. A spokeswoman for Carvana confirmed that the authenticity of the letter, but declined to further comment. The layoff mainly impacted employees in Carvana's corporate and tech departments. Oh, there it is. Tech department again. As well as some operational positions where it's eliminating roles, locations, or shifts to match our size with the current environment, according to it, the letter. Garcia said impacted employees will receive separation and service pay, extended health rate coverage for three months, and other benefits. Quote, to those impacted, I'm sorry, Garcia said. And you all know we have made similar decisions to this one in May. It is fair to ask why this is happening again. And yet I'm not sure I can answer it as it's clear, clear, clearly as you deserve. Carvana grew exponentially during the pandemic as shoppers shifted online purchasing rather than visiting a dealership with promise of hassle-free selling and purchasing of used vehicles at a customer's home. But Carvana did not have enough vehicles to meet the surge in consumer demand or the facilities and employees to precede the vehicles it did have in stock. That led to Carvana to purchase ADESA and a record number of vehicles amid sky-high prices as demand slowed amid rising rates and recessionary fears. Okay, I'm going to say this again, Carvana, okay? And I really hope someone from Carvana is listening to this and maybe you can write an email to your CEO if you want, okay? The trend going forward is going to be electric, okay? In California, New York, it's already passed. In the UK, it's already passed. By 2030 to 2035, all vehicles on the road that should be sold are going to be electric, okay? It's only a matter of time before other states. I mean, I expect Illinois to follow suit soon because California did it and New York did it. I expect Oregon to do it potentially and Washington state to do it as well. But Carvana needs to jump on a new trend if they wish to get back to their heydays again. They have to get they have to know that this trend is happening. Electric vehicles are coming. And that's what they probably should be trying to focus more on is being able to sell the story of we're preparing for the upcoming electric electric car revolution in the making. Now, granted, I am not 100% for electric cars. I think people should have their choice of what type of vehicle they want at the end of the day. I think people are going to buy Teslas if they want to buy Teslas or if they want to buy a Jeep, they're going to buy a Jeep at the end of the day. That's a gas guzzle, right? But I have to say... 
Carvana does not seem like they're making the right moves. And I keep saying it over and over again. And Carvana is probably going to feel more pain still. And honestly, they probably grew too much like we've talked about. They weren't making enough money. They couldn't handle the huge demand that was needed at the time. And now Carvana is facing it. Okay. Carvana probably needs to, like I've said, they have to be able to start getting into the next phase of the car industry, which is going to be electric vehicles because there's politicians right now who are signing bills into law saying we will no longer have gas vehicles on our road. And if Carvana can jump on that, you can expect by 2030 and, or 2035, this isn't financial advice. It's just my opinion at the end of the day. I believe that's what's going to help Carvana turn around. They got to start getting into the next trend of electric vehicles and that could help them be able to rebound their stock. Will it get as high as $375 again? Probably not but it's probably better than where they're at right now. And that's where I see the potential growth that they're making. So I'll leave it there. With that being said, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Hope you have enjoyed it. If you had, please like and subscribe to this podcast. Every like and subscription we get helps grow this podcast so we'll be able to keep talking about events that are happening on Wall Street or that Wall Street isn't willing or be able to talk about at all times. Please also continue to share with friends or family as you've helped continue to grow this channel, fellow podcast listeners. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today. Thank you and goodbye.